This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf. And I'm Madeline. Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how artists, educators, and cultural practitioners can change the world one community at a time. We believe that young people are our world's greatest asset and recognize that we, as the adults who are dedicated to their creative development, have work to do so they can thrive. Listeners are invited each week to learn and laugh while envisioning new creative futures through the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Why Change podcast. It's Rachel Jacobs, she, her here, and I'm coming to you from Gadigal country in the Eora Nation, where sovereignty was never ceded. This always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And I am joined here by the incredible Carla. Carla, it's nice to see you online and be chatting with you about this amazing interview. I know. Good morning from our end. Good evening at your end. Um, it is lovely. It's a beautiful day in the beautiful city of Chicago. Um, it is, we're, we're in that weird space of summer and fall. We are not seeding the summer. Let me tell you, <laughs> we've got two more days and we want to enjoy every single moment of it. So many changes. Good for you because, you know, once once that hits, as we know, uh, it, it hits hard. And right here we're hanging on to the last days of winter, which is uh, frankly um, tearing me apart. I'm dying for some dying for some sunshine. But how's everything in your world, Carla? Tell me, tell me where everything's up to. Oh my goodness. It has been, it's a, it's literally a whirlwind. Um, I have been um, up late lately. You know, we've had uh, Hurricane Fiona hit Puerto Rico and the Caribbean. And um, so thankfully we have just heard that all of our family members are safe and accounted for or as safe as they can be in that environment. So we've been losing a lot of sleep, but also just very hopeful and organizing what needs to be organizing organized in terms of you know what aid looks like and and thinking about you know where our dollars go and where our energies go um and and really keeping those community based organizations in mind um as we're thinking about what what it means to support our communities um and then um i got a new job <laughs> oh, god. oh my god all firstly firstly yeah. solidarity for everything that you're going through and you and your family I'm glad to hear everyone's well but you know the cleanup of, of this is obviously going to be devastating so be thinking about all of you and what we can all do as a global community um to make sure that everyone's looked after but also make sure that you know these these weather patterns will be changing and increasingly at alarming rates of what we can also do uh, to unravel that. Now tell us about the new job. <laughs> yes, thank you. And 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 you're absolutely right. Climate change is the real deal. Um, yep. It's happening all around us in so many ways. And so, um, you know, we've been calling Puerto Ricans that have been, or, you know, and, and, and other folks that have been leaving the Caribbean and coming to the United States, we've been calling them climate refugees. Yes. That is exactly what they are. So thank you for that. And Yes, you know, keeping a positive thought as we um, engage collectively in recovery. And 
Yes, new job. I am now the newly minted executive director of the Arts Administrators of Color Network <gasps> here in the U.S. Oh my god, that that firstly sounds super fancy. Um, it sounds as powerful as you are, and I can't think of a better person for the job. Um, that is amazing. Where can we find out more about the organization and more about your role? Yes. So, um, so Arts Administrators of Color is an organization that has been around for um, over six years, and all and, and the mission is really to provide networking supports and capacity building and advocacy for artists and arts administrators of color across the United States. Um, it is, it was volunteer led for mm. six years and I am their first paid employee. Wow. Um, so there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of adventure that lays okay. ahead. Um, but also, you know, thinking about, you know, we're, we're, we're about to, um, in the middle of planning our convening, yeah. um, which had me thinking about this podcast that we're about to talk about, uh, or this conversation we're about to talk about. And so I'm thinking about the convening, like, you know, this is where we're all going to come together and really coalesce and, um, and think about, you know, what it means for our sector to advance as people of color and what it is that we need and how can we provide it for each other? Mm. Um, so it had me really thinking a lot about um, this conversation we're about to discuss and listen to. Yeah, well, let's get to the podcast and a lot of the issues that you deal with in arts administrators of colour, I imagine are going to, you know, we're going to tether to some of those in this conversation in the wrap. So we're going to hear from Mitch Matson, who's at Roundabout Theatre, and we're going to hear from Alexis Truett, who is an executive director of AATE, the American Alliance for Theatre. And we're going to talk about the AATE conference, which has just happened, which is kind of legendary in my world, even though I've never been there. And I'll talk a little bit about why that is afterwards. So everyone to our audience, enjoy the podcast. Carla and I will be back to talk about the, um, talk about all the issues that arose in this very, very fascinating conversation right after this. Welcome, Alexis and Mitch. I am thrilled to introduce you to the Why Change podcast audience, here to talk about the recent American Alliance for Theatre and Education annual conference. Thanks so much, both of you, for being here today. Thanks Thank for you. Having us. It's great to be here. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny, Alexis, I'm looking at you here on our Zoom screen, and I, I did the math, and this was my ninth AATE conference, two of them, of course, being virtual. But, you know, Alexis, we've been doing this a long time. I think back to the very first one, I think that I went to was in Wisconsin, and mm -hmm. walked into uh, the hotel and ran right into you and knew that it was the beginning of something quite beautiful. But... Before we talk about the event itself, uh, can you just introduce yourself? Alexis, we'll go with you first. You know, what is your role within AATE? What do you do outside of your work with the organization? And then Mitch, we'll go on to you after that. 
Great. Thanks, Jeff. So my name is Alexis Truitt, and I'm the executive director of the American Alliance for Theater and Education. And I have been with the organization for 10 going on 11 years. So nine of those years with you in conference is amazing. Um, outside the organization, I also do theater. I'm the artistic <laughs> director of the St. Mark's Players here on Capitol Hill in DC, as well as I co-founded the Fat and Greasy Citizens Brigade, an outdoor summer theater uh, that is free for all to attend. And I'm also a mom to an active three-year-old. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Alexis. Now, Mitch, what about you? Uh, hi, Jeff. Yeah, so I am the current board chair for the American Alliance for Theater and Education and have served in various board capacities for the last couple of years. Um, you mentioned Milwaukee as your first conference. San Francisco 2010 was my first AATE conference and had um, worked on a couple of theater in our schools projects before that when I was in DC, but I'm now in New York. I am the director of career training and operations for roundabout theater companies, education programs, and uh, have really enjoyed the my my professional journey with um, arts administration and uh, theater education, and loved AATE's work so much that I was like, I need to be involved more. I love these conferences. It's my professional community. It's where I go to get uh, re-energized. So it was. So good to see you this summer in Providence. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned Providence. So for all of our listeners, uh, you, most of whom were not at the conference, talk a little bit about what the conference theme was. And spoiler, that's why we wanted to have you on. We really felt here at Creative Generation that the topics that were being discussed at this event, as you mentioned, in Providence, Rhode Island, were really indicative of what change is happening in the field. So what what were we all doing there? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, great question. And I, I just want to give a little context to what our conferences kind of mean to us as an organization and then absolutely talk about our incredible theme that we have this year. Um, so our conferences are really kind of the core of what we are at AATE. We uh, bring people together for networking and professional development throughout the year, but mainly at this event that happens annually uh, throughout the United States in the end of summer. And um we have taken, we've done it through the pandemic. We did it virtually, but there's nothing like an in-person opportunity to, to feel the energy, to be with people in the space, to create, to collaborate. Um, so we were so excited to come back to being in person this year in Providence, Rhode Island. And the reason that we really honed in on Providence is uh, our theme, let me start with that, was Ariba El Talon. And they have one of the most active bilingual theater uh, representations in the United States. In that tiny little state, they are really big on Spanish English language theater. And we wanted to, as we started to lean into um, our anti-racism plan and other kind of after we re-looked at ourselves as an organization, um, really wanted to lean into this opportunity to really showcase this really amazing and diverse work. So that that's, is, we're so glad you joined us for that. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. I mean, it was um, very prominent. I feel like a lot of the practitioners um, that we met were indicative of that sort of bridging between cultures represented in an artistic space. Um, 
in more ways than just the English Spanish presence in Providence, I mean, I was going to sessions about um, Native American culture, bridging to what's in the school curriculum, which frankly should be the Native cultures in that community. But regardless, the the changes that were coming. So, you know, Mitch, as the board chair and someone sort of overseeing the responsiveness of the organization to the changes in the field, how how do you view this shift in theater education that is happening? And, and how is that manifesting through some of the objectives of not only this conference, but the organization writ large? I think one of the things that has happened in the last few years, but may have happened for people years and years ago, is you have this uh, awareness that expands. Uh, and I think whether or not it was a upbringing that might have been very American or Eurocentric in theater, um, and then a cultural awakening like we've had in this country over the last two years uh, to say, hey, predominantly white institutions, wake up, look beyond what you've historically done, look beyond your colonialist canon, uh, and look beyond your uh, education systems and philosophies that might be rooted in a way and system that's exclusionary. How can we be more inclusive? How can a school, a professional theater company, a university, a, a teaching artist, an educator be more inclusive? You know, some of the pedagogical uh, themes and language right now is about culturally responsive, sustained education. We're talking about school climate, the need for acceptance and engagement uh, is so necessary right now. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll applaud Alexis of doing is, you know, starting a relationship with Teatro Ecos, the Spanish language theater company in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, six years ago, uh, and doing a theater in our schools event that AATE uh, co-sponsored with this theater company to say, how do we celebrate the theater that's happening in your community with educators and schools and artists and developing that relationship. And so I loved what I saw at conference this year, which was relationships that had started, whether in some of those sessions that you described or uh, through our, our hosts and our host committee saying, oh, here we are this many years later, and we're still engaging and serving and uh, feeding each other's uh, appetites for wanting to learn more and engage with each other. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, that trajectory that you're describing both within the field and sort of within the organization through some of your signature programs like Theater in Our Schools Month or the conference or others, you know, it's it's really interesting because I sort of map the trajectory of some of the work that I've done. And I really look to AATE as my first sort of sharing ground. I don't know if you both know this, but the underpinning research from Creative Generation was first shared at an AATE conference. And then the next year we shared the next round of stuff starting at the AATE conference. And then again, 
this year we actually shared um, a presentation. It was a hands-on interactive workshop that built off of those previous um, research presentations and brought it to the actual practice at the intersection of arts education pedagogy and social justice practices. And it was really cool to look at documentary theater as this um, vehicle for embodying the domains of social justice education, as well as these arts education standards that we have within our schools and our, our theater cultural institutions and so forth. And it's really just kind of neat to watch um, that progression from 2019, 2020, 2021, now 2022, um, to track as the discourse, not only in like these sessions of, you know, 20 or 30 people, but also uh, within the conference as a whole. But I want to ask you both one more question, which is a little bit deeper, right? We often hear about these, these microaggressions, right, that, that are... Um, forced on people um, because of the various aspects of their life that um, can be in conflict with others. Um, and a while ago in the on the podcast, on the Why Change podcast, someone was talking about micro-progressions, which are those little things that we can do to, to resist microaggressions, to move our field forward, and in this case, to progress the discourse on social justice and theater education. So I, I just wonder what your reflections are about this deep embedding that you were just discussing about some of these partnerships and so forth, but how this whole field and how theater educators as a whole are progressing towards a more integrated approach of social justice and theater education. Uh, it's a complicated layered question. I think I'm having that knee jerk reaction of being a part of a national organization with members from, you know, 38 states in six time zones. And like, I don't know how everyone is doing it. Um, I definitely got to experience a number of sessions at conference and see firsthand how how teachers, educators, e even yourself uh, in your session are really showing embodied learning, right? So it's it's not just telling the story, but you're engaging the participants in the active learning. And uh, I'm I'm seeing that also in, and we saw this with, you know, bilingual workshops that were happening um, at the conference. And so I guess I'm, I'm leaving sort of a, a dot, dot, dot ellipses um, in this moment uh, to say, I'm going to keep thinking on that. So therefore not speaking for the entire uh, membership. Alexis, what are you seeing? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think being a national organization, is hard to speak for everyone for sure. Um, but as an as the organization, we can speak to some of the things that we have done in the last two years, um, as far as moving the conversation, as I kind of indicated earlier, forward internally to then bring it externally in the conference. Mm. Um, so our anti-racism plan was a huge one that we started um, in the fall of 2021. It feels like an age ago, sorry. Um, we went through, the leadership went through training with Michael Bobbitt, uh, EDIA training. And then we had a task force that helped craft this anti-racism plan, uh, which is a multi-year plan that we have been working on rolling out uh, in what we do. And we've made small changes, um, i.e. like 
uh, in our curtain call that we put out monthly. We have a section now about uh, anti-racism articles that speak to what's going on in culture, going on specifically in theater um, that everyone might not see, but bringing people's attention to that. Um, as well as uh, giving people um, a safe place to uh, put in any sort of issues they might have in anything that we put out there um, so that we can talk through it and work it out. But I would say one of our, other than that being huge, our other big um, kind of addition and change is our Leaders of Color Institute, uh, which I am so proud and excited about. Uh, we are going into our third year of holding this institute. Uh, we started it during the pandemic as a space created by people of color for people of color. So as a woman of color myself, I am super thrilled to have a space for other arts administrators, theater practitioners, uh, teaching artists to come together and learn from each other and uh, have a space to let our let our guard down and really vent and, and support each other. Um, the kind of tag team to this Leaders of Color Institute is our mentor-mentee program, which has been wonderful. I, I've had two incredible mentees this year and um, we are paired. There are professionals who come forward and say, hey, yes, I wanna mentor one or two people. And uh, this year, my two are actually a recently graduated uh, college student and a recently PhD'd NYU <laughs> student. So it, they're very diverse in, in who you might uh, be with, uh, but it's it's been really great to, to be a part of their kind of journey and, and support each other in this last couple of years. So those, I feel, have been some of our major shifts, which then translated, I feel, into our conferences year, as in not just... Um, not just in what the content, but largely in the content that was put out there, uh, but also the people who wanted to hear about that content. And I, I thought that was really exciting. I, and you know, I love everything that you just said. And I just want to underscore that a lot of the progress that's being made is being made through the vehicle or, or maybe on the pathway is a better way to describe it of co-learning, right? That people are coming together to share that there's not a, you know, a right way or a silver bullet solution or, you know, name your, um, your metaphor here, but that instead it's actually through an ongoing process of sharing and learning, be it internally within your organizational structure around your anti-racism plan, be it in cultivating new generations of leaders through mentorship programs or through co-learning peer-to-peer in conference sessions um, and things like that. And you know what's special about that is it takes a generous approach. And that's something I think we learn in theater, right? That we bring forward with a generosity to, to yes and, right? Rather than no but. And I, I just, I love that. That's great. And you all should be applauded for that tremendous work. I, uh, I'll underline, because I think Alexis brought up a lot of the like, pieces that where AATE is making space, uh, lifting voices. You know, I think when you talk to those micro progressions, the the things that teachers are doing, I love how you amplified the co-learning. Uh, I've seen that within the membership in the last two years, really leaning into what are your uh, the tools and tricks when it comes to um, mental wellness, self-care, mm -hmm. but also student care. Um, and how are we uh, taking uh, necessary steps to make our classrooms as safe or brave as the participants can be, but also 
taking care of ourselves, right? We mm-hmm. think of our, the organization is, you know, it's a member organization. It is professional development um, so that we can learn together and uh, seeing each other both in Zoom rooms and, you know, in our monthly uh, meetings and opportunities, but also at that conference to really see one another and be seen um, has been uh, a step on that path to health and wellness at this time. That's a tremendous note to end on, Mitch. I think the personal and community wellness is something that is essential and really needs to be embedded when we do these hard things. There's some author who talks about doing hard things. Is it Brene Brown or it's someone in that vein, right? You know, that we have to really care for ourselves because otherwise, you know, burnout is inevitable and we have to do hard things because it's the right thing to do, but we also have to care for ourselves. And and that's a, a beautiful thing to end on. Now here at the Why Change podcast, as we get to know folks all around the world, we in that same vein about wellness and and uh, personal well-being, we also want to know what keeps people ticking. What keeps you doing these hard things or endeavoring to put on a big national conference when you could just do it on Zoom or to uh, embed these challenging practices to, you know, upend what's always been done in theater education. So I'm curious about both of you and what keeps you all going. So I've got a couple of rapid fire questions that I will ask you um, in sequence. And I would love a really quick, short answer from both of you about all five. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> so ready. First, who inspires you? Uh, the students, um, whether it's the after school program that I get to see and the energy, the wanting more, the students. Uh, definitely our members uh, and their various backgrounds uh, keep uh, inspire me to to do my work every day and see what wonderful things they're doing. What keeps you motivated? We're never done being better, um, whether that's a, a technical thing or um, going for the big change. Uh, the work is, as Mitch kind of said, the work is ever evolving and we have to shift and change to meet people where they are, especially in these last three years. It's been so imperative that we uh, just keep in reinventing, inventing and learning and growing uh, our knowledge base in order to, to meet everyone where we are right now. Where are you most grounded? With my family, wherever that might be. Oh, probably in the woods. Um, mm-hmm. Nature. How do you stay focused? That's a hard one. It can be so hard nowadays to stay focused on anything. It's Everything's coming at you so quickly. But um, I, honestly, I think it's just rudimentary for me, like breathing, list making. I, I just love a checklist. It's the best way for me to focus on anything. One of the programs that I work at here at Roundabout is a, a workforce training program, and we are constantly looking for jobs and kind of job development for the fellows, for the young technicians. And it's like you have to have that laser focus, even though it's split in a hundred ways, but it's what keeps me focused. And lastly, why change? Change is growth and new things, I think. And if we don't embrace new opportunities and new ways to do things, then we'll just remain stagnant and we'll we'll never grow. Yeah. Um, you know, I love theater. 
I love storytelling. And in a lot of the theater that has moved me, our characters are on a journey. Our, our protagonists are, are learning new things and they're changing. They're meeting obstacles and they're struggling, but they're, you know, learning about themselves and their communities through that change. And that's, that's what we're after moving towards changing the status quo and working towards what's better. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on this episode of the Why Change podcast. Congratulations on a a tremendous effort with the conference and with the work that the American Alliance for Theater and Education is doing in the world and that new future that you're moving it towards through theater education. Thank you both very much. Thanks, Jeff, so much. It's such a pleasure. And we're back. I hope that you enjoyed the interview. I am here with Carla and let's have a little reflection on that straight up. Carla, have you ever been to AATE or any surrounding events or the conference? No, I have. Well, I've never been to the AATE conference. Mm. Um, And I have, I, you know, I, when I was a teaching artist, I taught theater um, in out of school programs. So, um, and, and they were with organizations that weren't as connected with theater educators as I probably would have liked. And I love a good conference. I love a good convening of folks to come together and to talk about the practice of teaching in addition to the practice of theater. And so um, my only interaction with AATE has been in the past when we would do um, Arts Advocacy Day in Washington, DC. And they were truly a force uh, in terms of the numbers that would come uh, and engage in in advocating for the arts and arts education. So um, from what I have observed and you know, in those particular spaces, um, I, I I respect that energy a mm. lot. Yeah, I can't agree more. I only know it by reputation. Uh, and people say to me all the time when I talk about, you know, conferences and things like that, and, you know, I don't want to shock you, Carla, but occasionally I bitch about the conferences and being particularly on justice issues and, you know, our yeah. conference so white or you know, wow, that, you know, some of the justice conversations, it seem a little archaic or seems like the progress is so slow. And everybody on masses sort of says to me, Rachel, you need to get to AATE. Um, It is widely known as really rigorous. Uh, Firstly, massive, like the numbers of people that we just don't have over here in Australia Mm -hmm. or the numbers of people that we just can't get to international conferences. So there's firstly a mass of people, um, that critical mass, but also the justice focus, particularly, you know, racial justice, um, but also on all things queer and trans, on matters of disability, um, challenging ableism, um, challenging, yeah, so many, so many hard rusted on stereotypes AT has this reputation as challenging that and I do think that that came through as part of the interview today what do you think I do and I'm with you Rachel in the sense that you know whenever I am at a conference and they talk about 
racial justice or racial equity, which is a big buzzword here in, in the United States, I tend to side eye those things. And I tend to be very, very critical of, of folks, particularly like, who are you? Who's presenting this? Um, what what philosophy are you bringing to the table? And also what energy are you bringing to the table, right? Do you think that with this one workshop, you're going to solve all of our problems, you know, centuries of problems and, and, and things that continue? So I'm always very weary um, of, of, of these things. And so feel you 100% on that. But I was. I'm side eyeing right beside you. <laughs> I'm side eyeing, and I guess, um, and I, I guess for our listeners, you know, I'm an artist of color myself, and uh, for me, the side eye is always about everyone's motivations for being there. I'm like, why are you working with this group? What is this about? If you you are not belonging to that group, what is your motivation being there? It doesn't necessarily be problematic or bad, but that is where I guess my side eye origin. So I'm right beside you with um with that but it, there were some turns in this interview where we highlighted some things you know where that turn can be optimistic or hopeful yes absolutely um you know it, it, they started talking about you know arriba el talón and um thinking about dual language um theater and 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 thinking about how um you know, this this bridging of cultures has really been a theme. Mitch mentioned that, and even um, Alexis, um, you know, kind of furthered that a little bit more deeply with um, not only what they're presenting within the conference, but also how AATE is taking really intentional steps um, and, and acknowledging that progress is always slow. You cannot overnight, um, you know, years of, of challenges and, and years of, of feeling some kind of way, particularly um, in theater where for so long, you know, and I know this as a, the a former theater student, but, you know, the Russian method of acting or, you know, the, the, the canon, right? The traditional you know, canons that exist. And so what, what Mitch referred to as, you know, they're planning to challenge the colonial canon and God, yes. that's refreshing to hear because I that's what I grew up with. Uh, that's okay. what I grew up learning. And um, I didn't experience theatre or, or a lot of art that was relevant to my life experience until I was an adult. And a lot of that was the stuff that I was making myself. So I was kind of like, girl, if you want it, you bring it. And <laughs> that's kind of bullshit. But, um, yeah, but that's the way it was presented to me. So I found that really refreshing. And sorry, yes. I did cut across you, but um, what's the what's the feeling that you have that that canon's being challenged here? I I love it. I love it. And it's it's necessary. If we are not seeing ourselves in the work that is being taught, then um, by by definition, you're saying that your you know folks are saying your experience is not a valid experience and it is not one that other folks that are not from where you come from, um, it, it, it isn't it isn't a learning tool. Um, so so those things really excite me because like you, 
um, a lot of the culturally affirming work that I have experienced has very little to no budget attached to it. And if you're thinking about, I'm Puerto Rican, um, but also thinking about, you know, the black community in Chicago, which is very significant. And, you know, it becomes national geographicized, right? So it's bringing the, you know, the African drums, but it's not, that is absolutely a part of our roots. You know, even as Puerto Ricans, it's part of our roots, but that is not, you know, the linchpin of, you know, theater making and storytelling. And, and really our, it is our stories and our experiences that, um, you know, are, are important. And so for uh, AATE and for other groups to say, hey, we need to make these stories as important for folks to learn from as Shakespeare is, 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 is crucial and, and it is a message that needs to be delivered for generations. So it's wonderful. Absolutely, because there's so much to wind back, right? There's, there's just so much. And let's get on to a phrase that has resonated with both of us, which is a micro-progression. Now, this is not something I'd heard of before. I don't know if it's contextual and maybe it's just something that hasn't hit in my home yet, but it's so it's so interesting because we talk about microaggressions so commonly and there's nothing micro about them. That's what we know. A lot of people are advocating for just eradicating the term microaggressions because the hurt caused is so deep. It's so, you know, widespread. It's so insidious uh, that there's nothing really micro about it. So when you hear the term microaggression, half of me is cheering and half of me is kind of crying and dying inside. <laughs> Where are you with that? It's like, oh, that's cute. You're trying. <laughs> that is like, that is my instinct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, and I, um, you know, putting like the me personal uh, the hat on personally trying trying and talking about it isn't enough. Bragging about how you're trying is not enough. Um, I do not think that, and I, I don't think either Mitch or Alexis were bragging. I think that they were very humble about Agreed. the, the pro micro progressions that, um, as Jeff put it, that they're doing. Um, which they have also acknowledged, one, isn't the answer to racial justice and theater education, uh, but two, uh, are foundational in what will be uh, a years long, if not generations long, um, journey in, in what it means to challenge the canon, to have diverse voices in the fabric of of our of our work and how those things are being taught and also my you know biggest hope is that they're also thinking about the theater educators that they need to also bring in and diversify and learn from so yeah so i um as they were talking about their anti-racism plan the aate anti-racism plan um thinking about their leaders of color institute and their mentee uh mentor program um 
and this notion of co-learning within the conference, right? Um, those things made me hopeful. And, and, and I said, okay, they're, they're really laying down this foundation so that other folks can build around it and are really trying to make this part of what theater education culture is in this country as an anchor institution. Yeah, I think that you really nailed it, that, you know, when you're, it's, it's that kind of level of seeding power. And I guess that's why I came around to appreciating the term micro-progression, because it's not a massive overstatement of what we are achieving at the moment at any, any one given time. And we've all been there where somebody is talking up uh, the level of impact that they're having and but what you're saying is really resonating with me that until we you know change the culture where we are um, centering the perspective of minority voices in the teaching artistry you know that change is a it's going to be on the surface that's you know really stuck out for me and speaks to the work that you do um, at arts administrators of color I guess yeah, absolutely, and thank you. Um, I, I, you know, my, I had some curiosities too yeah. about um, the conference and their approach, and you know, this work is tied to, especially when you're thinking about education and thinking about theater education within communities. How are they discussing gentrification yes. of communities, for example? Um, how are they not only shifting the um, the mindsets of perhaps you know uh, white theater educators that may really feel comfortable in in these pockets and are thinking about that special program they can bring in for a unit or for a class, but you know how um, you know how are they really thinking about what it means to kind of upend curricula and upend what is being taught and who is teaching it, which doesn't mean, I, you know, I want to displace folks. But um, one of the things that I always talk about, particularly in these times, is how are we reimagining the work that we're doing in ways that truly serve all of our communities? Um, and so, you know, one, how are folks being affirmed? How are folks feeling seen? Um, how are those experiences of our young people uh, really being reflected and how are we allowing them places for them to reflect their own experiences and how are we bringing those youth voices in um, to, to the spaces so that we can be responsive to our communities. And so, um, and when I have those curiosities, there's two ways you know one I'm curious because I'm um you know because I'm, I'm questioning a process or I'm, I'm curious because it's gotten me really imagining and thinking in a space that you've created and so for me with this discussion it's the latter it's it's not coming from a place of um a, a, it's not a critical eye in a in a negative way it is a um how do we add to this like cornucopia of ideas um as you are all um, thinking about what theater education is going to look like in the next hundred years plus. Yeah, I can't agree more. And I think, 
you know, adding to that beautiful cornucopia of ideas, Alexis mentioned mentoring, the mentoring program. And that really spoke to me. I am mentoring some artists of colour here in Australia at the moment. And it reflected exactly what you just said, is that it, it's about how are people seen and heard and centred in a space. It is not enough to just bring people in. We do have a problem in some arts, but also I'm in some activist spaces at the moment where people just go and either employ or um, give positions to folks of colour and then go wipe their hands and go, there, we did the job. Now, off you go, and that's just nowhere near. Um, that's just nowhere near where we need to, to be placing our energies if there is to be real sustainable change. Um, and so I, I really loved hearing about that mentoring program from um, um, from Alexis. I, you know, found that really an uplifting, an uplifting story. Um, I've actually met Mitch before. So Carl, if, if it's okay, I might tell you a little story. I had the great pleasure yes. of getting to Roundabout Theatre in New York and, yeah, connection through a friend, got an introduction to Mitch, had a glorious tour of Roundabout and education. And I can tell you that he he walks the talk, that um, he is really focused on change, on decentering um, himself, on checking privilege, um, on justice and equity and things like that. And I re-met Mitch a few years later and I was like, hi, Mitch, remember me? We um, had a great, you know, great time, great conversation at Roundabout. And he was like, are you sure? I'm like, it, it, it does. So I was clearly so memorable to this guy. I just really need to work on the way I leave a lasting impact. But he certainly left a lasting impact on me. <laughs> So, so those can, moments can, before yeah. it's so awkward you're like yeah. it's so awkward you're like we, we really did spend a whole day working oh my goodness <laughs> no um, but that we'll is will remember you now yeah, yeah. <laughs> after, after hearing this he certainly will um that is not my way of calling out Mitch that is my way of saying that he really does he really does walk his talk and so it was really, I guess it's really nice to see both him and Alexis at the helm of such an influential organisation. Often yeah. organisations have been led in the past by people who don't have such, you know, such orientations. And so it's just really, you know, it's really hopeful for me when we see the field walking this way. I agree. And I do think that um, it is important to, to, to celebrate and to acknowledge when folks are taking steps. Um, I, 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 you know, I, so I certainly um, have my skepticisms, right? You know, uh, you know, you know, we as women of color have, you know, definitely had our fair share of folks trying and it not going the way that we had hoped. So um, I think it is important to kind of keep that healthy skepticism and to have and to retain the lenses that we have within these spaces, but also to say and to acknowledge when things are resonating. You know, I don't like to say, oh, you're doing this right, but that they're resonating for us in ways that are um, that 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 speak to 
what we're looking for when we're thinking about, you know, you know, racial justice and diversity of voice in our work. So it is important to, to, to shout them out and, and to say, um, um, you know, we are here in support, but also we will call you out if, you know, we see something problematic. And that is the process and the discomfort of transformation and transition. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what the AATE journey is moving forward. And it sounds like you and I need to go to AATE one of these days. (laughs) I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. And someone from AATE is probably going to reach out now and say, it's here at this day and this time, and it is time for me to uh, uh, to get myself get myself over there to make sure that those that me and you side by side are going to make sure that those micro progressions are and this is I'm paraphrasing your words as powerful and as kind of far reaching as a microaggression because those are so powerful and microaggression has to be equally as powerful. I just really love the way that you phrase that when we when we prepped this little talk. Uh, yes, listeners, you, you're going to be shocked that we do actually do some prep. We do, <laughs> we do. We're so, friends in real life. Tell <laughs> yeah. so, um, before we say goodbye, you've got the job coming up. Your hands must be absolutely full. Is that what's going on in your world? Uh, you know, literally started yesterday so it is um you know it is getting my feet wet um this is an organization that was with me and was such a wonderful resource for me during the pandemic and for people of color particularly during you know in the era of george floyd and um, and and all of the uprisings that came afterwards. And also, you know, speaking of promises and promises broken, just, you know, thinking about arts organizations across the country that, you know, spoke out in solidarity and made promises to change. And so I'm looking forward to being among the people that that calls people in and says, hey, you know, remember that thing you wrote? you know, how are we doing? But also um, putting my eyes towards focusing on people of color in this country and arts administrators and artists of color and how can we work together to, to you know, increase the conditions of um, and, and better the conditions of our folks and the people of the global majority um, in this country, you know, through the arts. So um, if people want to learn more you can uh, look us up at aacnetwork.org. Uh, um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of that and um, sad to be leaving Free Street Theater, which has been um, a home of mine for 10 years uh, artistically, but also as ED for three years. And, um, and speaking of folks that are out there doing the work, um, freestreet.org, please show them some love as well. They're continuing to do work that is by, for, and about, and with Chicago's communities. And, um, and, and so, you know, as we say in Puerto Rico, siempre pa'lante. And, um, and, and we continue to do this work in solidarity and together. Um, amazing. What, what you're saying is resonating, is resonating so strongly with me. And I've written down both of those links. We'll put some links at the bottom of the podcast where you can um, go and look up all of this, um, all of those 
fantastic organizations. Uh, I know they're fantastic because color has uh, been involved. So that's that's a huge a huge vote of confidence. Uh, for me, along those lines, uh, it is going to be a little break in the term. And when the term resumes, I start a new term of a program called Deep Harmony, which is anti-racism programs in schools in the, um, in the state where I live. And that is taught entirely through drama and my medium of Bollywood dancing, which comes from my uh... background. Yes. So... It, the terms are going to start and colour, as you well know, anti-racism work can be heavy, it is, can be challenging. In fact, that's actually the point, is that we're creating these brave spaces, not safe spaces where we uphold damaging structures and systems, brave spaces where we can work through them. But through doing it through the joyful medium of Bollywood dancing definitely gives the little ones, you know, hope and joy and things like that. What is extra hopeful and extra joyful is that it, we're coming up to October, Carla, and it's Diwali. Diwali is, yes, we're, we're clicking everywhere. The Indian Hindu Festival of Light is yes. coming up. And while that, you know, has origins in, in Hindu culture, it is celebrated by all religions and all cultures in India and indeed around the world. So get ready for some some you know top class food uh some hectic dancing some partying all night but um most importantly i want to close with i guess the mantra of diwali is that diwali being the festival of light celebrates the triumph of good over evil of light over darkness and of knowledge over ignorance so, Carla, thank you so much for joining me in this chat today. I wish you the triumph of light and good and knowledge in the days to come. May all your October days be filled with dancing and food and fun and light and joy. Um, it was really, really great to chat with you and really good to catch up with you. Thanks so much for our listeners to joining us. Thank you. And, yes, Diwali, I, I'm, I'm excited for that time. They celebrate it here in Chicago and it is, it's gorgeous. So thank you for that mantra. I think that ends us on a really lovely note. Have a great day. Happy Diwali, everyone. Happy Diwali. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative change makers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. This episode was produced by Rachel Jacobs. Executive editor is me, Jeff M. Poulin. Artwork by Bridget Woodbury. Our digital media producer is Daniel Stanley. This podcast theme music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support.